0: I want to create a culture of leaders and whether you're interested in leadership or not, you can be a leader if you, as an administrative assistant. And, and that's kind of our mantra here. And so we are always focused on what can we do better for self-development?
1: Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist, or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Tracy Smith, President and CEO of Make-A-Wish Alabama. Tracy is a seasoned leader with more than 20 years of nonprofit experience. She's led grassroots nonprofits, local nonprofits, and national affiliations. She emphasizes a team approach leadership style and is passionate about creating a culture of empowering and motivating her team, something I'm particularly passionate about. In addition to Tracy's nonprofit career, she spent six years as a communication strategist consulting with nonprofits, small businesses, and corporations, working with them on internal and external communication, strategic planning, and team building. She serves on Make-A-Wish America's Strategic Planning Council, Audit and Finance Committee, and their COVID Re-Emergence Task Force, representing more than 58 chapters, chapters across the U.S. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for having me. So, when we had our initial conversation, um, you mentioned to me that you grant Alabama, you grant about, uh, you granted 160 wishes, or you will be granting 160 wishes in 2023. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that really the bottom line problem that you're solving for people? It really isn't. I think what people,
0: forget or they don't know is everybody thinks, Oh, a wish is a nice thing. That's nice. It's a mm-hmm. great thing. But a wish is truly transformational in the lives of children and their families. And so yep. we adamantly believe that it should be part of the medical journey. If, if mm-hmm. a child is eligible for a wish, we feel like we, that it's our purpose to provide that because mm-hmm. we now have documentation and, and data and research that shows children that have had a wish or are having a wish, respond better to their treatment options they they're they have less hospital stays less er visits so we really? you know it's really like positive thinking it's something to look forward to it can be oh, transformational
1: yeah that's really interesting isn't that amazing yeah how do you determine or what, what does your team look like that determines who gets wishes and and who doesn't and mm-hmm. you know you said you have 160 you're planning planning on granting this year how many was that from last year
0: so before COVID our our um our goals we were around 160 165 okay. and then of course COVID just we had yeah. to pause and during mm-hmm. COVID we granted 90 wishes okay. Last year, we granted 118. So this year, we're, we're finally getting back to pre-COVID numbers mm-hmm. we There's incident rates that every state has It's um, a mm-hmm. formula algorithm. And so we think roughly there's about 300 children a year in Alabama that are diagnosed with a critical illness. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to eventually get to 200, 300 wishes a year to grant. Then in, in mm-hmm. theory, philosophical, strategically, that would mean right. a child would only have to wait less than a year for a wish.
1: Okay. Yeah. So that's strategically, but granting two, two to 300 wishes a year, what does that look like from a standpoint of your staffing? Yeah. So um, we're in a growth mode
0: right now. We're mm-hmm. capacity building. Um, this year, we're hoping, like we said to grant 160, we're hoping to hit that 200 mark in two years. So what okay. that means is we really have to look at capacity. How do we do that to build a team so we can mm-hmm. keep this momentum up. So this year we are actually adding three staff so we okay. can mainly support staff. We did add one who wish granner and that's all she does is grant wishes. And we are also adding an administrative support, so the mm-hmm. people that raise money and develop relationships, they are not bogged down, bogged down with administrative tasks. Mm-hmm. And so our wish granters saying, "There's a, it's interesting how complicated wish granting can be, but it's a, a sophisticated system." So we take, we're mm-hmm. trying to take away the administrative burden of those people, so they can grant more wishes, raise more money, and have an administrative support. So that's we're in the middle of capacity building. What does a wish grantor's job look like? So um, I know, and one of the questions you asked earlier, the, the, how do you determine a wish? I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get back to that because it is, it's not, we don't, it's not a layperson process. There's a right. team of about 23 professionals that serve on our national NMAC mm-hmm. and they're the ones who set eligibility. Got it. But so a wish grantor, they're a typical day in the life of a wish granter is they spend a lot of time talking with families. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, there's traditional families, there's families that, mm-hmm. um, our divorced families. And so we have to make sure we are involved in all the family members are involved in the process. And so Mm -hmm. their day could look, they do a lot of what we call our wish discovery meetings—that's mm-hmm. when they meet with the families and the kids, and they figure out, you know, what what if you could meet anybody, who would it be? If you could go anywhere, what it, would it be? And then they're also kind of travel agents because they're planning a lot right. of trips, and then they're event people because they're also planning events. If it's a mm-hmm. playhouse build out, they're pro- so a wish granter is a travel agent, a project manager, <laughs> a counselor, <laughs> a little bit of everything. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so uh, getting back to, you know, you said that you first look at uh, children with critical illnesses. Mm -hmm. How do you define critical illness? And then to get back to the second part where I asked you, how do you determine who gets the wish?
0: yeah yeah so a lot of people and and every time i get an opportunity to talk with anyone i love sharing the story because people think make a wish is we grant wishes for children with just terminal illnesses Mm -hmm. or and this is their final wish Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it is and you know that's what we were start we we that's how we started is uh chris gracious was the very first wish that kind of that spurred the idea of Make a Wish, and he had leukemia, and he passed away um, soon after his wish was granted. Mm-hmm. But as you know now, leukemia—the survival rate has mm-hmm. is much better. And so, yeah. in the beginning, it was terminal illnesses. We changed the word in our in our mission statement. We grant, grant life changing wishes for children with critical illnesses because about eighty to eighty five percent of our children go on to beat their cancer there are it goes into remission or they overcome their situation and we absolutely think a wish can impact that and so um i can tell you i go to way too many memorial services we lose way too many we lost one yesterday Mm. but i am happy to say that the majority of our children that the wishes are granted they they are in a situation where they beat their situation and that's what we bring that hope and joy and we feel like that that impacts um, how they respond
1: to their medical situation yeah yeah i have to imagine so make a wish was established as a 501c3 in 1980 Mm -hmm. Uh, make a wish alabama was established in 2012 you joined them in 2019 that's right Mm -hmm. um your entire career after school has been (laughs) nonprofit. so you know, walk us through the progression of your career and, and nearing the time or before the time you joined Make-A-Wish Alabama, you were a consultant for seven and a half years. So I want you to talk about that right. a little bit, but, but tell me what it was that had you go into nonprofit work and, you know, again, the, 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 the process of your, of your career growth. Sure.
0: Yeah, so I think it's interesting when people go to college and and I was talking to a career day at um, school recently and, you know, when we were little, everybody thought you had to know what you wanted to be when you grew up. I want to be a teacher. I want to be an attorney, whatever. I never knew what I wanted to do. And so I thought, well, a solid business degree. That's what I'll get. And so I got a degree Mm -hmm. in marketing with a concentration in public relations, and but I still didn't know what I wanted to do with that. I knew I didn't want to be in sales. And at the time when I was looking for a job, that was it. And I, I remember interviewing for a copier company, and I thought I don't want to sell copiers. I don't want to sell copiers yeah, the rest right. of my life. I don't want to sell widgets. Um, and then I even tooled around with. Ooh, they were interviewing for FBI agents, and so I went through that process. And then I then I got to the point where you had to go to Quantico, and I was like, Oh, yeah. I'm out. I can't do <laughs> it. And then, so my marketing professor recommended me for an internship for a specialty hospital here in Birmingham, Alabama, where I live. And it, they it was an eye foundation hospital, and they they specialized in eye surgery. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was introduced to the nonprofit industry. I didn't even know that exists. I didn't know what a nonprofit was. And so I worked in their public relations department and attached to the hospital was a professional office building and, and included in that was a number of nonprofits, um, Alabama Alliance site, um, Alabama iBank. bank. And I was exposed to these nonprofits and, um, the one of them, Alabama Alliance site had a public relations position that I applied for and got, and that was my entry into uh, nonprofit. And then I realized Okay, I can make a living out of focusing on a mission and helping people, and that can be my job. And that's Mm -hmm. when it connected with me. Okay, I love that. I love that. I love waking up every day and doing something that makes a difference in the Mm -hmm. lives of someone else. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then I I was bitten by the nonprofit bug.
1: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) and you moved up the food chain right from you know eventually director of marketing Mm -hmm. uh president of the alabama chapter of the national ms society you know Mm -hmm. ceo of kid one transport so you know you moved up the i mean and you were at these jobs you know not a short period of time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but you moved up the food chain pretty well what did you find you know going from you know director marketing at the the i-bank uh to you know president of the uh um Uh, Alabama chapter of the MS Society to then becoming, you know, CEO. It was interesting because
0: every job I've had, I never wanted to leave it. I was really happy, especially like at the iBank. I was Mm -hmm. there eight years and Mm -hmm. the plan was, I I was part of the succession plan and I was going to step into the CEO role. And he, uh, that the CEO who just recently retired has always been my mentor. And every opportunity I've had someone reached out to me, recruited me away. And so Mm -hmm. I was always In a perfect
1: world, that's how it should always be, (laughs) by
0: the way. And each time I was like, no, I'm good. But then Mm -hmm. I thought, well, this door's opening for some reason. Mm -hmm. I need to explore it. So the first time when I left the iBank to go to the MS Society, I remember... It was so emotional because I felt like I was betraying yeah. that group and especially that CEO who was such a mentor to me, but I was drawn to, I really felt like, all right, the universe is telling you, Tracy, yeah. this is putting it in front of you. You need to test your leadership abilities and this is your opportunity to. So it was really hard, but I, mm-hmm. I knew I had to do it, but it's hard to leave something that you're not running away from, you know? Mm-hmm. But I did it. And so and each time it was one of those situations where someone recruited me and said, hey, I'd love to sit down and talk to you. And I would think about it and I would just in my gut, I would either accept it or not mm-hmm. accept it. And every job that I've accepted mm-hmm. was, was the right path for me because I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, especially in these in the mm-hmm. in the later years of my career <laughs> right
1: so what did you find to be at least you know in your first two those first two roles with the ms society and then mm-hmm. with kid one What did you find to be your leadership challenges?
0: I feel like, so not the job with iBank, but just jobs throughout my life. I had horrible bosses and, you know, they may be part-time jobs. They may have been, you know, girl Friday types of jobs, but that taught me, I remember thinking if I ever get in a leadership role, that is how I'm not going to behave. You know, it taught me how to not behave. Mm -hmm. And so with the MS Society, um, it was my first, I was, you know, cutting my teeth as a leader and, um, I managed mainly, it was all women. It was volunteer management, leadership management, and staff management. Mm-hmm. And also, I was working with a national organization. So I had to follow in line with those things. But I reported to a board. Mm-hmm. And um, it really gave me um, that was my first experience of knowing I needed to build a culture. Because that was the first aha moment of okay, we all have different personalities and we right. all work different, and how how do I turn that into positive energy? Um, so that was my first time, and I'll tell you I, the, the the team that worked with me then till this day we talk about there was a moment there was like a moment in in that group where there was some not, I wouldn't say dysfunction but some just personality differences yeah. where we had to all come together and it was kind of you know have a kind of come to Jesus meeting. Like, what yep. are we going to do? This, you know, we are here to serve this mission and we're not going to be judgmental. We're not going to be petty. We spend more time with each other than we do with our with our mm-hmm. family. So we've got to rise above this. And that was my first experience with that. And then since then, that's just human nature. Anywhere you go, any group of people you work with, you're always going to have those struggles of interpersonal right. relationships.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and you know, because you're walking into areas where you didn't build your own organization right? from, from right. scratch. It's yeah. easier to do that from scratch when you know mm-hmm. what you're doing than it is to make changes around it, right? You are so right. That's what helps keep people like me in business. Yeah, <laughs> So that's right. So, so tell me about... Um, uh, leaving leaving that the role as the CEO and going out on your own, what was the impetus behind that?
0: So loved, Kid One Transport is a very local nonprofit here, okay. grassroots. They serve um, children. There are a lot of kids and women that live in homes without vehicles in Alabama. We do not have oh. a good public transportation wow. system. Yeah, I don't know what the statistics are now, but back then it was like 300,000 children live in a home without a car. So they My were goodness. not getting to their doctor's office. God forbid they were diagnosed with cancer, couldn't go to a cancer treatment. That's what right. It. So kid one was born out of accessing Fantastic. this. The, yeah, and it was great. And so yeah. I replaced the founder. He was retiring. I said, mm-hmm. so it was a wonderful mission, but it was draining, as you can imagine. And it getting those kids to the doctor was just one of many issues in those mm-hmm. children's lives. You know, it, they were probably in a lower socioeconomic level. They may not have had food. Their parents were trying to choose between getting their medicine and their food, yeah, and it was true. draining. And at that point, and we did great things, but at that point, I had young kids too, and I'm uh, working, you know, burning the candle at both ends. My husband was traveling. He would leave on mm-hmm. Monday or Tuesday, not back till Thursday, so I was kind of single mom in it during the week. Mm-hmm. And our oldest son, I remember one time he <laughs> looked at me and said, mom, you're spending, you spend more time with those uh, kid one kids than you do with us. And I was like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. So I talked to my board and I said, I I said, I'm at the point where I don't feel like I'm being a good CEO. I don't feel like Mm -hmm. I'm being a good mom. I'm kind of being mediocre at best on both. And I feel like the organization deserves better. My kids deserve better. So I just need to step away. So Mm -hmm. I stepped away.
1: Mm -hmm. And chose to go out on your own rather than taking a new job. Yeah. I did, and and I, I remember thinking,
0: "All right, we'll just eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a while." And, yeah. it, and before I did that, actually, um, my husband was a stay-at-home mom dad for a few years, and so we realized at that point the kids were young, and we realized that one of us needed to be there to pick them up after school mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So um, we, so I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew if I ever wanted to, I could always jump back in when I needed mm-hmm. to or wanted to, and so. A colleague of mine was um, doing some public relations work. She actually worked with me at Kid One. And she had some accounts that needed more strategic thinking and strategy Mm -hmm. building and team building and strategic planning. So she pulled me into with some of her clients, and then I thought, oh, I could do this as kind of a side hustle as I was a stay-at-home mom. And so it turned out great. So I worked with a lot of nonprofits, I worked with some small businesses, we had some government contracts. Mm -hmm. It was really neat.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, most of the people I interview for this podcast are entrepreneurs, um, you know, and, and you're one of the few that, you know, is not, is not building your own business, right? Building a company. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you like about the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial experience for, I mean, seven and a half years? Yeah. Um, and what didn't you like? And what had you finally say, okay, it's time to go back into, you know, to work for an organization?
0: Well, initially, once I started doing it, um, I liked it and, and I got in this good rhythm of it. And I thought, okay, I could build a consulting business. This would be good. And um, But what I didn't like, so I liked it because I was doing what I loved. It was team building. It was strategic planning. Right. It was str- yeah. communication strategy, that sort of thing. What I didn't like was I wasn't the leader. I, you know, I would come in and I would say, this is what I feel like you need to do, but ultimately they would do whatever they wanted to do. And some of it was marketing, mm-hmm. some of it was um, team building. But what I saw was great people that I worked with, but I saw that they weren't leading the way I kind of felt like they may need to lead and lead mm-hmm. through empowerment, encouragement. And mm-hmm. I realized I missed that. Yes. And also with consulting, as you know, if you don't work, you don't get paid. And so it was, you never really stop. You, you never can take off. And right. so um, I, it is. And so I realized yeah. it was actually more of a struggle. It would have been okay to build. And in fact, I was really, I was in a really good rhythm. I was working locally with a lot of the local libraries and doing their strategic planning. And um, they were wanting to help me get some more accounts outside of the state. And I was really at the crux of like, like building that consulting business. Um, and then then the JDRF opportunity came up and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I miss it. I miss I miss leading a team and mm-hmm. building a team. And so mm-hmm. I had that entrepreneurial spirit. But I'm, what I miss more was the leadership and building a yeah. culture. So. Um, I'll jump back into nonprofit.
1: <laughs> great, great. So, uh, Tracy, so as I said, you are, you uh, joined Make-A-Wish Alabama in 2019, and you were the second president and CEO, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if you can say this, um, you know, what happened with your predecessor and what it was about this particular organization that had you join.
0: Yeah, so I was at JDRF again fantastic organization Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation mm-hmm. and they they are the number one funder of type 1 diabetes outside of the government and again I was fine happy I thought all right this is this is going to be my gig mm-hmm. and a recruiter called me and I said thanks but no thanks I'll you know spread the word with my colleagues and and mm-hmm. they called me a couple more times so well on the third time, you know, they don't tell you what the organization is. And so they they should
1: be, by the way. And that, that (laughs) I, that's a whole other conversation. That's a recruiter. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to be working with.
0: (laughs) Well, they finally said, I'm going to tell you, I said, well, what organization are you talking about? Yeah. And, um, and they said, they found me on LinkedIn, you know, how all that happens. And, um, they said Make-A-Wish and I've always been impressed with Make-A-Wish. I mean, it's such a strong brand. And I said, Oh, well, I thought I worked for the best nonprofit, which I do, but that's a, that's a really strong nonprofit. And honestly, Mm -hmm. At that time, I did not realize they had a presence in Alabama because yeah. before it was Make a Wish Alabama, Georgia, and that chapter mm. was in based in Atlanta.
1: Right, of but course. Then
0: they split in 2012 and they became their own chapter, and I didn't know that because they mm-hmm. didn't have any awareness. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I said, you know, I think I do want to talk about that, because at the time JDRF was changing a lot, yeah. and quite honestly, um, they were going through some changes that were great, but they didn't need my level of leadership mm-hmm. because the different JDRF is more like a they're a national nonprofit that has a, yeah. we were more like a field office. So I reported yeah. to a staff person and I just had to follow, um, the rules and the guidelines mm-hmm. with Make-A-Wish Alabama. We're our own individual nonprofit. So we can run it however we want, as long as we follow the national guidelines, but Got I it. report to a board. And so it is, it's more of an entrepreneurial way to manage a nonprofit versus right. JDR. And both, both, um, structures work. It's just, the uh, the structure with a non-federated system is more you don't have the opportunity to really lead the way you want to lead so anyway so it was an it was that's that's a really important distinction i think you're making Mm -hmm. so go on it is and so many people don't realize that there's differences in nonprofits like that yeah so Mm -hmm. make a wish is a federated system that means every chapter is their own independent nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And then uh, JDRF wasn't, so that was the difference. So that was the draw to me, is because um, I knew JDRF was going in a direction that wouldn't really allow me to exercise yeah. my leadership skills. Yeah. And so I thought it was really good. It was a good opportunity for me to move on, and for them, I, it, I just didn't fit into that role anymore. Right. You know, I was like growing beyond it. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's why I went through the motions and what they were looking for at Make a Wish, and I didn't know the details, but the, um, they were really going through some challenges with their culture uh, that the CEO had left and mm-hmm. they needed to rebuild a culture here in the chapter. And um, so I talked to, the, I was interviewed by a panel of the board members, the recruiter and national staff. And they said, we need someone that will come in, build a board and build a culture because the culture was real fractured and dysfunctional for mm-hmm. whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, or there wasn't a culture. There just yeah. wasn't a culture yeah. I right. do right. um, and i don't know if it was anyone to blame but that's what the way it was and so i was just so moved by one the mission and the brand Mm -hmm. and always was aware of it but the fact that there was this wonderful brand with this great team in place and all they needed was some direction and empowerment Mm -hmm. motivation so i felt like i was that's just where i was supposed to be and it worked out yeah that's terrific yeah
1: um You know, you said something earlier about, you know, the majority of the kids that we grant wishes for, you know, survive. Uh, Mm -hmm. When we first talked, you said 80% of your kids are able to conquer their condition. Right. Um, That's pretty amazing numbers that Mm -hmm. when you mentioned that to me, I had no idea. Mm -mm. Most
0: people don't. Yeah. Right. And, And people don't realize. But now if there's a child that a doctor tells us this is a rush wish and this wish has to happen within three months. They, you know, we do everything possible to make that wish
1: happen. Right. And those
0: are the ones that are truly terminal. Yeah. Right. But isn't right. it amazing that they, they overcome it?
1: Well, it is amazing. Um, and that the money that you raise stays in Alabama.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. Which and is that's,
1: fantastic.
0: Yeah. And that's the beauty of a federated system is... Mm-hmm. We had this incredible support from, Make. I mean, our partnership with Make a Wish America is amazing. Our partnership mm-hmm. with other chapters. If we have a child in Alabama mm-hmm. that wants to go to New York, we call the New York chapter, yes. and they help us plan and vice versa. But so all the funds raised in our state go to serve the children in our state. Yeah. Mm-hmm that is right. it, it, so it really like a, is we're a local nonprofit with this national umbrella yeah
1: well and and you know as as i'm listening to this i'm thinking you know there of course there's many there are many things that are not similar but it it strikes me as being similar in some ways when you think of a franchise right yeah and how franchises are i mean we have them in sports we have them in food we have them in you know shopping all sorts of things you know and and there are franchises, you know, franchises are federally regulated and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure there are franchises that, you know, you do it our way, it's our way or the highway, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you're a franchisee, right? That's right. And, you know, and then there's the ones that you're, the one that you're describing, where you've got the support of the national, the franchisor, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all they want is for each chapter to be successful. That's exactly right. Right. And, and there, there, sure there are some support. guidelines, as you yeah. said. Yeah.
0: There but, is. Right. Mm-hmm. There is. We have to hit. There are benchmarks we have to hit. There are KPIs we have to hit. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a business. We're running a business. Sure. And there are brand standards we have to follow. Mm-hmm. They set our guidelines for our wish eligibility. And so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of um, consistency across mm-hmm. the chapters. But we which have is the smart. freedom. Yes. Yeah, it's It's really the best of, it's just truly the best of both worlds in a nonprofit industry because you've got the support from the national office, but
1: you can run mm-hmm. it like you're an entrepreneurial business. Well, right. Which is, which is in my, in my opinion, incredibly important, mm-hmm. it, you know, to your, to your point, it allows you to lead the way you want to lead. That's exactly right. right.
0: And then it also like when we were first started, each the national office provides support for the newer chapter. So they right. will grant give them grant them money to get them off the ground to mm-hmm. get them going. And it's it's just a great structure, it really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So where so so you mentioned that, where does the national chapter get its money? Are they separately fundraising? Or are you paying them a percentage of what you're raising or how does that look like? We do. So each chapter, we do pay fees and national fees and it's and
0: in an, this uh, formula based on the money we raised. And of then it, we back out any in-kind donations we get that reduces those fees. And then we have national corporate relationships that the national mm-hmm. office um stewards uh you, you may have heard that michael uh, jordan gave that 10 million dollar gift to make a wish last week Wow, um, i did not that, hear that in fact isn't yeah. that amazing for his yeah. 60th birthday that, that was in partnership with the illinois chapter and the national office they work together right. so that money will be distributed somehow so we all will share that but mm-hmm. um there's relationships that the national office, like um, Dave and & Buster's and Macy's and all mm-hmm. these national ones, that they relation, they manage, they get a percentage of, and then we engage them on a local level. So we Got get it. a piece of that. Yeah. So that's basically how that works. And then there are some donors that choose to give to Make-A-Wish America. They don't care where the wishes are granted, and mm-hmm. they just want to help any kid anywhere. So there are some donors that directly give that way. Yeah, Got it. Got it. So we just focus on donor intent.
1: Right. So so I want to talk a little bit about the nonprofit sector. Um, sure. You know, I, I personally have sort of minimal experience in the nonprofit. I sat on a board uh, once and f- found it to be a kind of a shit show. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, um. Isn't it bad when there's so many that are like that though?
1: Well, yeah. And, and I think part of it was that this particular nonprofit, nobody was getting paid. Right. So Uh, which, which is distinctly different, you know, from the, you know, in the organization. So from a nonprofit where actually people are getting income, right? Right. Um but but I'm curious about nonprofit. It it occurs to me. So you've got 16 employees. Of those 16, how many are women? 15. Okay, there you go. Yeah. And I we suspect hired our that first is not, male. I'm sorry. <laughs> we hired our first male less than a year ago. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> um so so you know, I would ask this of anybody who had an all male company, right? <laughs> but yeah, right. but there's something about the nonprofit that has i would assert based on experience and you know more about this than i that nonprofit is made up of a majority of women
0: that's exactly right yeah and we try to hire men i know you do
1: they don't apply right and we can we can (laughs) talk about that but um my my question is and i have an assertion but i want to hear what you have to say all right why is that Mm -hmm. i think i know why that is but i would like you to tell me I wonder
0: because I do feel like like people don't realize we try to we try to run this organization like a business. We try to be competitive with benefits and pay and all okay. that. We're, you're never going to get rich working for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get paid like you're going to be get paid in the corporate world, but we mm-hmm. try to be competitive. I think a lot of it has to do with men for lack of a better word, they're some mainly sometimes the main breadwinners and so they feel like they have to do that. I yeah. feel like men struggle with I think in nonprofit, you have to be driven, you have to have goals, you have to have all of the things that you need to do in the corporate world, but you also have to be humble and you have to have a heart and you have to have compassion. And sometimes those things are frowned upon in the corporate world. They feel like it has to be all business and driven, competitive. And I think men are, are drawn more to that. I applaud men that that see the value of working in a nonprofit industry mm-hmm. because I have so many people and a lot of men that call, have called me throughout the years. I'll get a call at least once a month of someone in the corporate world that wants to switch over to nonprofit, and they'll say, I've seen your journey. I've seen your career. How mm-hmm. cool is that? And, mm-hmm. and I'm waking up every day thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. And so they're you know in their 50s going, what am I you know, doing? And it's because they... Nobody, because they feel like that's what they're supposed to do. So I feel like men think, and a lot of people think, oh, nonprofits are just nice and they're all volunteer ran and it's this nice fluffy thing over here, mm-hmm. but we are really meeting the need. I mean, and just in mm-hmm. the world, business world, there's the private sector, there's the public sector, yeah. and then there's nonprofits and nonprofits are meeting the needs that the private and the public sector don't they're meet. Not. There's a gap and right. that's us. So Yeah. So I, I feel like that, but I will say this: I'm I'm very proud that my son works at, for the Heart Association in Chattanooga, and he is um, will be a great leader. And I love seeing men in the nonprofit industry yeah. because most of them are so passionate and compassion, and um, compassionate, and it's it's great to see. Yeah.
1: Here's another thing that that some people might feel is controversial. Um, I've experienced leaders in nonprofit being really bad leaders men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, of course, have experienced the opposite as well. Um, and of course the same, you find the same thing in corporate America. Um, but you know, I thought to myself and there's an organization here in Denver, um, I, I won't mention it, but their former CEO was a man. He came up through the ranks in the organization. It's a very old organization, um, headquartered here. And, you know, every time I would see him at anything, um, because I was a volunteer for them for a long time, mm-hmm. until I finally just thought they he is completely out of touch with the people working mm-hmm. for him Com- mm-hmm. now, and that of course can happen in corporate America. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have to wonder because he basically started there as a kid and worked. and spent over thirty years there. He probably never got any leadership training, right? Or yeah. anything like that. And I thought, well, no wonder he's a horrible, in my opinion. He was great at raising money. Mm-hmm. I would say he wasn't great at anything else. And I thought he'd never make it anywhere else because nobody else would hire the guy.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, and I don't know, understand why. And, and nonprofits are famous for this. And com- companies do this just in general. Is Somebody may be really good. At raising money or doing programs, and just because they're good at that, does not mean they're going to be good managers. Well, of course not. Leaders, and there's a difference in a leader and a manager. And I agree with you. I mean, I see people every day that are in leadership roles, and they are not leading. They Mm -hmm. are not leading.
1: Well, and I can't. I have to say, I can't. I I don't blame them. I blame the people they work for Mm -hmm. for not giving them leadership training, right? And coaching and development. That is that's who I have to blame
0: you're right and you know it, it, our it falls philosophy, on the ceo
1: period it does mm-hmm. it does
0: our and my philosophy is i want to create a culture of leaders and whether you're yes. interested in leadership or not mm-hmm. you can be a leader that's right if, as an administrative assistant and that's right and that's kind of our mantra here mm-hmm. and so we are always focused on what can we do better for self-development for team mm-hmm. development because you're right if because whether people stay here or they move on we want them to move on being better career people, whatever right. that means for them.
1: yeah. And you, don't, and you don't want them to move on because they had a shitty experience working for that's you. exactly right. right. So, yeah. y- you know, that's, and, and it's funny, I literally just had this conversation with somebody yesterday about just because you're not in a leadership position doesn't mean you aren't a leader. You're so right. Okay. You're so and that's right. really, really important for people to realize. Mm-hmm. You can lead
0: up, you can lead peer to peer. You can. That's right. I mean, yeah. And we all should be leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I say that all the time too. You and I think alike.
1: <laughs> Tracy, what would you say um are some of your biggest challenges that you're facing in your organization? And and would you say those are the same challenges other chapters are having? Cause I know you like you said, you're going out to Vegas next week and yeah. you know, you'll be meeting with everyone, right? So wow. mm-hmm. y- you know, I'm curious about that.
0: I think what a lot of us are, are experiencing right now is um, compassion fatigue. It's mm. especially during COVID. It's just yeah. especially for our mission team. Yeah, um, we've had a really high turnover in mission in the mission delivery nationwide. Not here, luckily, but nationwide. Mm-hmm. And it's there. They they're just so tired. I mean, these yeah. poor family, because if you think, I mean, I don't want to get down into all of what happened during COVID, but, you know, all these kids were saying, you're going to Disney World or now you're not going to Disney World. And so it, you got to pick another wish. I mean, it was really just exhausting mm. for them. And so. Yeah. And, and and so I would say one of our challenges is compassion fatigue. So we're all we're so focused And this is why I think we're so successful is we're so focused on the families and making sure they have an incredible wish experience. I mean, it has got to be make a wish worthy, everything we do. And we're so focused on our donors. Our stewardship is so important to us. Mm-hmm. that we don't focus on ourselves. And so that one of the main things I have to do is make sure our, our, their, our staff are taken care of, mm-hmm. that, they, that they're that they doing self-care, that all of those things, because I don't want them to have burnout. Right. And in nonprofit, it is 24 yeah. seven. I mean, we have we have to make sure we're available. You know, like you volunteer for volu- nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Our volunteers are the lifeblood of our organization. Mm-hmm. So, And they have their own lives and they have mm-hmm. their own jobs. And so when they choose mm-hmm. to spend their time with us, us, We need to make sure we're avail- available. They have the tools they need, yeah. and so a lot of times that's after hours, that's weekends, that sort of thing. And right. then we still have so it, it, it's um, those hourly struggles of are you are you really having a work life balance? Yeah, um, and everybody struggles with it. And everybody here is so passionate about our mission mm-hmm. that they get up every day motivated. Um, but you can run yourself dry. So I, I worry about burnout with the team. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: what I worry about. Yeah, right. Um, tell me a little bit about what you, you know, what you do for marketing from a standpoint mm-hmm. of, you know, how are you raising the visibility of what you're doing mm-hmm. there in Alabama?
0: So one of our most successful programs, and I, I could talk hours about this, so I'll be really quick, is, um, <laughs> is called Trailblaze Challenge. And mm-hmm. it is just such a cool program. It, there's about 14 or 15 chapters across the U.S. that do it. It started in North Carolina and it's a hiking event that's basically like a mm-hmm. marathon, um, And it, we start recruiting hikers in January, they start training in February, and then they do a hike in May, and it's a 26.3 mile hike in one day. We sell out every year, we have two weekends, we have over 300 hikers, and they raise over a million dollars. Oh my God. Isn't that amazing? Just in Alabama? just in Alabama. That's fabulous. And, it, and what our team has done here, our Vice President of Advancement, Valerie Cunningham, she's fantastic. She's the one who brought the hike here. And, and with her and... Elizabeth Tucker, our our hike lead, our our development manager that manages Mm -hmm. it, and all the staff here, we've created this incredible program that it's not just about the hike, it's about all year round. So these people are so engaged with our mission, Mm. they may not even be interested in Make-A-Wish, they may just want to hike an event, but we inundate them with wish families and wish stories, and by the end of it, they are so drawn into our mission that now they are on our board, they Mm -hmm. they volunteer at our galas, they come to our galas they are our go-to if we need in kind for a wish a play set i mean they are kind of they are the heartbeat of our chapter mm-hmm. and it's been an incredible program that um just continues to grow year after year mm-hmm. and the alumni will come back right in height yes yeah, it's, it's really good cool. so that's 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 really the most successful program we have
1: yeah awesome now i want to i want to circle back to um the point about you made about you know men not maybe not thinking this is an option for them mm-hmm. um, and and anytime a, a leader tells me that they're having challenges finding x types of people I ask well what are you doing about that <laughs> mm-hmm. so what mm-hmm. are you doing about that
0: well I'll tell you um, we, we talk about diversity as well like we don't have a diverse group right our, you don't <laughs> we don't our board's not diverse like we're always looking mm-hmm. for diversity and so I philosophically believe that that starts with our internship program. So mm-hmm. for years, our internship programs are unpaid. This year, we said we need to start paying them something, like Good. just something. This is Good. free. You're asking these people for free labor. And mm-hmm. so I really feel like if you can pay your interns, then you break down those socioeconomic barriers, yeah. diversity barriers, like all of those things to where whether they stay here or they go, they have got that level set. And mm-hmm. you're not asking them for it to be a burden to interns with us. I mean, we don't pay them much, but it's just enough. So that is the entry. While point. they're in school? while they're in school. Okay. Yeah. And so I think we're really pioneering that in Alabama. I don't know if any other nonprofit offers a paid intern. And we can, all, you know, it's limited, obviously, and it's very budgeted, but um, normally we would be begging for interns. This yeah. year, I think we had over 50 applicants, and so it worked, that works. Um, and then for men, what we're trying to do is be more visible, doing yeah. things like just public awareness and talk about how the professionalism of our mm-hmm. organization. We're actually, wish are screening is a very sophisticated system. System. You know, we have CRMs, we have Salesforce, we right. have KPIs, we have, we is competitive, it's goal oriented. There are all those things that you do running a business. We just aren't selling widgets, we are granting wishes. Mm-hmm. And so, but you still have to have those things to, to be really good stewards of the money that's given mm-hmm. to you, you know. And, um, and so we feel like the more we talk about that, the more attractive that is to the um, male population.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the, and, I, that, and that's why I asked the question. So mm-hmm. um, circling back to your employees, tell me a little bit about, as you, as you said, you just, hired, you just hired your first man last year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but overall, tell me a little bit about your talent strategy and where you've seen challenges. So yeah so we are we already, always, we already know the challenge about men but you know otherwise right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have three departments administration,
0: mission and development. Development okay. obviously is our biggest department. They run mm-hmm. our events, they do our donor stewardship, they do all of that. Um and we represent the whole state, and so what? When we're looking to build our team, what we're looking for are people that really. I, my philosophy is we're all wish granters mm-hmm. and we're all fundraisers. Right. So I don't care if you're in the administrative department. You any any interaction you have with the public you can help raise money and you can help grant wishes and right. same with all the departments. And yep. so that's kind of our philosophy. So we're looking for people that are really team focused. We have to work as a team. We don't work mm-hmm. in silos. We all have a job to do, but we do recognize it's all hands on deck when, when there needs to be. Um, with the understanding that we have enough people that if something in your life, personal life, you need to do, That's okay. Well, we'll, we we will step in and we'll support that because I never want to be in a position where employees resent their job because they couldn't go to their child's play or Mm -hmm. they needed to take their mom to the doctor or whatever that is. So Mm -hmm. life balance is really important. And we we really we work on it every day as a team that we want to support each other. Mm -hmm. We work on our communication, our um, retreats, focus on how we can better communicate and that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that creating that culture is going to attract the people that want to be a part of that type of culture right um i, I always say if you thrive in drama and cattiness and judging this, this and ain't not business, this ain't the place for you this isn't the place for you go yeah. on keep on moving yeah i do i honestly feel like it is a privilege to work here and if mm-hmm. you get an opportunity to work here you should consider yourself thankful because we created mm-hmm. a great
1: culture that people don't want to leave Right. So how do you tend to find your people when we talk about talent strategy? I mean, are you, are you doing the post and pray method? Are you, do you actually, you know, use headhunters because you said, you know, a headhunter called you, right? For this job. So, yeah. So we, we do the traditional method
0: on, um, all the, the, the sites. Um, we are, we have an HR firm that, um, we outsource for the screening and that sort of thing. And I will tell you, I'll admit it. I'm all about poaching. If I know somebody's out there and they're good, I'll have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And if they're not happy, I'll talk to him about it. Um, I never want to steal employees away, but yes, you do, (laughs) but I will recruit. We'll talk about that separately. (laughs) (laughs) I will recruit in a heartbeat because I want to find the best of the best. So we do a lot of grassroots. Who do you know? And through the traditional Mm -hmm. platforms.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's terrific. Mm -hmm. Um, have you experienced much turnover or any turnover?
0: Not a lot. Like the turnover we've experienced is either because we knew like, I'm also very open with, I know people are going to leave. They just leave. I've left. Look at me. I've left four right. times, whatever. Yeah. So it's just reality. So I always tell the staff, if you have career path and that, we, that it doesn't fit here, that's fine. Let's talk about it. As long as you're here, I want all of you and I want you to you know be goal focused. Yep. But if you want to move on to other things, that's great. And I can help you with that. And let's talk about that. And so we've, since I've been here, We've had three people leave because I knew they were wanting, like one wanted to go into academia, mm-hmm. one wanted a leadership role that we just didn't have, and mm-hmm. so they found an opportunity out of state, one went to help build their her husband's business, yeah. so it's one, those sorts of things. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's been times where they just weren't the right fit for the position, and I've had those conversations where they loved it here. They just didn't like the actual job they had, and so we just talked through those things and yeah, you know yeah. help them find their other their other track wherever that uh-huh. needs to be.
1: Uh, Tracy, is there any outdated advice being disseminated in your about your industry?
0: Yeah, well, specifically for Make a Wish, people think it's
1: the final wish, right? And which a lot we of talked people, about, yeah, yeah, and people don't know that we're local and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I didn't know that by the way, but yeah, until my neighbor across the street who we've talked about moved in. <laughs> <laughs> who's the CEO of the Colorado chapter yeah, yeah. so
0: now you know yeah. um, and i do think i think i think more and more nonprofits are recognizing to attract mm-hmm. Good talent, you have to treat them professionally. Mm-hmm. You've got to give them a big, good benefit package. It can't, it doesn't have to be just about the pay. And we focus a lot on that time off, that sort of thing. But it's got to be competitive because if you want your nonprofit to be the best, then you got to run it like a business mm-hmm. as best as you can. And a lot of nonprofits don't do that. And those are the ones that are struggling. Yep. They're well. not, they're, yeah
1: i could i mean i couldn't say any better i've said that for years it's mm-hmm. the reason that you know the nonprofits that you know i've either been involved with or you know sat on the board with i'm like yeah they they're not running it like a business that's the problem mm-hmm.
0: yeah. which is which you is
1: unfortunate yeah. um tell me what you do on your free time yeah so my husband
0: and i love um music we love to go to concerts our kids our oldest like i said is in chattanooga he's a Mm -hmm. he works in the nonprofit industry, but he's also a competitive whitewater um, kayaker. So we love to watch him uh, compete. And then our youngest is in Tampa at the University of South Florida, and she's studying marine science and art. So we love going down to St. Pete. We love Mm -hmm. St. Petersburg, Florida. So we're either in Chattanooga in the mountains visiting him or down at the beach visiting her. So we love to do that. And on our off time, we love to listen to good music, concerts, cooking, Mm -hmm. good cocktail.
1: Hanging out at home. <laughs> Amen. Um, is there anything that uh, I haven't asked you today or have neglected to ask you that you want to mention before we sign off?
0: No, I just, I, I really like to talk about when I'm a leader, I just really lead through empowerment and yeah. kindness. I think yeah. kindness is underrated. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. feel like even when you lead, even when you have to correct people, you can do it with kindness. Cause you, I just mm-hmm. want everybody to succeed. And if they're yeah. not succeeding, what can I do to help you to succeed? Mm-hmm. So.
1: Yeah, Yeah. uh, I I don't need to put a point on that. So Tracy Smith, (laughs) president and CEO of Make-A-Wish Alabama. Thanks for your time um, as the first nonprofit uh, CEO that I interviewed. This was really a delight and I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you, Carol. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, VerticalElevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.